So we hope to have a good discussion for about two hours here. And if you are listening on the radio and want to come by and ask a question, please do. Now, honestly, suicide is not a topic that uh, we would have chosen out of the blue for a public forum. But given the several incidents this past spring where three of our neighbors, our friends, members of the community, our co-workers took their own lives in a relatively short period of time, Chad and I felt it was time. And uh, like so many, we were both impacted by these spring incidents. We were at various times shocked, angered, sad, perplexed, like so many in the valley. And we thought that we should try to understand a bit more and perhaps help people find ways that they could help others facing similar decisions. So we decided to try holding a forum on a difficult topic, and the people that we work with supported that uh, idea. So we are fortunate that many people in the community have stepped up, given us some guidance, offered to help, and both people on tonight's panel and here in the audience and some that are at home. But tonight we have gathered a panel of six people with a variety of experience and expertise from up and down the valley. They all work in the mental health realm and uh, they have stepped up to help the community in general face the issue of suicide. And I'll introduce the panel and we'll let Chad then lead the discussion and take questions and get, uh, get some insights. Now one thing before the introductions, if you are listening tonight and you feel a need to talk to someone, there are places and there are people to turn to. There are two main ways to easily get in touch with someone who will listen. The local crisis text line can be reached by texting 741741, and the crisis talk line is open at 970-252-6220. Don't hesitate if you feel the need. So to the panel. Uh, Tonight we have with us Dr. John Tarr. Dr. Tarr is a recently retired family physician and the Gunnison County Medical Health Officer. He has for decades been committed to trying to improve the health of the people who live here. He is the chair of the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation Board of Directors and part of the leadership team for the Community Health Foundation and the Gunnison Valley. He is also a member of the Gunnison County Substance Abuse Prevention Program. Nancy Osmondson became committed to improving services for people in crisis in our community as the executive director of the Center for Restorative Practices. That's a victim's advocacy organization. She continued this commitment as executive director of the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation where improving mental health services and suicide prevention became a priority for the foundation. As a community member, Nancy is committed to offering her experience to improve crisis services for the community in Crested Butte, and she is also very involved in helping to get the new CB Hope organization up and off the ground. Sarah Kramer is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed addiction counselor, as well as the assistant regional manager for the Center for Mental Health in Gunnison. She has lived in Crested Butte for five years and has been in the counseling field for 11, first on the front range, and now in our community. And she brings to our forum knowledge of local treatment resources for mental health and substance use disorders, knowledge of our current crisis response systems, and new resources for community hopes to have, that the community hopes to have soon. Stacy Peterson is a licensed professional counselor and licensed school counselor. And she is currently the elementary counselor at the Crested Butte Community School where she has worked for the past five years. Stacy is also a trained QPR suicide prevention gatekeeper instructor. 
She provides annual QPR suicide prevention trainings to the staff at the Crested Butte Community School. QPR stands for Question, Persuade, Refer, and it is an evidence-based suicide prevention program. Christine Peterson has been in the uh, chair, has been the chair of the Gunnison Out of Darkness Walk for the last three years. She was elected to the board of directors of the Colorado chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Chris hopes to continue to shed light on suicide prevention resources, education, and awareness to our valley through various AFSP presentations, fundraisers, and events at both ends of the valley. And finally, Scott Cantrell. Scott is Director of Student Health and Wellness at Western State Colorado University and is a Western alum. He has worked in higher education for four years in varying student support roles on the academic and student affairs side. Scott has a knowledge in understanding the Western community, and he would like to speak about the Sources of Strength program and how this program will be a university collaborative effort to support suicide prevention efforts. So we have six good people with six good perspectives and a lot of people in the audience. And as I said, Chad will lead uh, this discussion. So here's Chad. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, panelists, for joining us. And thanks, everyone in the audience here at the community school in Crested Butte, as well as who have joined us on the airwaves at KBUT. Uh, in order to first address this topic, I think we should have some background on uh, what's been happening in the community and why we're here in the first place. And I'd like to refer to Dr. John Tarr, uh, who is a medical health officer in Gunnison County. Dr. Tarr, could you give us some background of suicide in the Valley in recent times? Yes. <clears throat> Unfortunately, as I'm sure most people here are aware, there have been three tragedies in the Crested Butte community in 2018. That is out of a total of five in Gunnison County. So last year there were eight, so we are less than halfway through the year, and we already have almost as many as in the total year last year. Last year there were eight, and of those, seven were done with gunshot wounds, six to the head, one to the chest, one was done by hanging, the ages ranged from 31 to 85. And in two of those cases, there were unknown, whether or not were chemicals involved was unknown. In one case, there were no chemicals involved. And in all others, there were various combinations of alcohol, benzodiazepine, cocaine, opiates, tetrahydrocannabinol, either alone or in combination. In 2017, there were 77 incidents of individuals presenting to the emergency department at Gunnison Valley Hospital with suicide gestures, suicide attempts, other attempts at self-harm. Age range there was from age 13 to age 85. I really will not go into any more specifics on those, but those are the crude numbers. Dr. Tarr, before we began this forum, we had a little offsite discussion um, about these are the statistics, these are the people who had come into the hospital, or these were the known statistics, and we hypothesized 
has everyone or anyone or a lot of people considered it and what happened? Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, you realize that the 77 who showed up at the ED <coughs> are probably the tip of the iceberg. But I'd like to pose a question for everyone just in their own mind, very privately, to consider for themselves to maybe give some context to this. And that is, I want you all, both here in person and listening on the radio, to think about whether or not you have ever thought about suicide. If you have, have you ever personalized it and thought about whether or not suicide was an option for you yourself? If it was, I would like you to think about the place you were in when you thought about it, what was happening in your life, what led you to think about this that might be an action that you would like to take. And then I would finally like you to think about what led you to abandon the thought. Because I think by putting this in our own personal perspective, we can maybe be somewhere near the place that someone who actually does commit suicide, where they are, and why they crossed that divide from simply thinking about it hypothetically, thinking about it personally, the life situation they were in that led them to think about it, and what they did or what they thought or what they experienced that made them turn away and not cross that divide. You know, as we talk about this topic, suicide, I think it's important to know how to talk about it. What are some of the words that we should, and just as importantly, maybe shouldn't use? And could we turn to maybe Sarah? Sarah is with the Center for Mental Health out of both uh, Gunnison and Montrose counties. Um, as well as uh, it's a resource on the Western Slope. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, uh, as we think about talking about suicide, uh, we want to be careful about the word choices we use. Um, we we don't want to over-sensationalize the issue. Um, and so really being factual in our reporting is important. Uh, and sort of taking out some of the adjectives and the um, other types of words that we might add to the, the storyline. Um, and then we also just, we wanna take out some of the judgmental terms. Um, so we might uh, find people saying uh, a successful suicide attempt. Um, and that actually conveys the message that like having a person complete suicide is a good thing um, when it isn't. Um, and so saying non-fatal suicide attempt or um, saying a completed suicide is more ac accurate. Um, so that conveys um, really the, the concern in the matter. Um, and then um, we just, we wanna really be careful um, to not oversimplify the issue either. Um, a lot of times we are looking for the whys and the what happened and what did we miss. 
um, and that's part of our grief process. Uh, and it, what we can end up doing is uh, dialing it down to just one factor um, and trying to pin it on that when really uh, as a community we want to be looking at all the multitude of reasons why people choose to end their lives um, and we want to be addressing all of those things. Thank you, Sarah. Well, it's springtime right now. Um, it was a big transition season. This is a seasonal economy in Crested Butte, and not as much in Gunnison, but the seasonal effect is very much felt around here. And especially in Crested Butte, we had three suicides in a matter of less than two months. Is spring a factor, or was that an outlier? Who can handle this one? I'll take a stab at it. I don't Thanks, know Sarah. that we that we necessarily know why spring m may play a role, uh, but one theory uh, is that individuals may have been suffering for quite a long time, um, really struggling, especially during the winter, uh, with kind of the low energy that often hits people who are depressed um, in the winter time. And so that person may be more inclined to stay home and not act on their suicidal thought. Uh, whereas in the spring, we actually have more energy um, and we get out more and that person may, uh, may actually be able to go do things that would um, uh, really gather the means for, for executing that plan. Um, so that's one theory that's out there. Uh, but again, I do think that the issue is so much more complex than any one season uh, or any one factor uh, that we really need to consider all of those other things. Well, suicide, we often look at it from the problem standpoint. It's a problem, but problems also present solutions. Um, and while this is not an easy problem to solve by any means, there are things happening, especially on the county level, and one of our audience members tonight works with Gunnison Health and Human Services, Gunnison County HHS, and it's Emily Mirza. And I'd like her to give a little overview of what's going on for solutions as we talk about suicide. Thanks, Chad. Um, I'm Emily Mirza, and I work with Health and Human Services. I'm also representing the Health Coalition of the Gunnison Valley. It's professionals, law enforcement, municipalities, community members that come together, and we have been developing a strategic plan recently to address prevention of suicide in our community, and uh, I just want to talk about our three-tiered approach that we're working on implementing. The first tier is working on stigma reduction in the media, um, and we're working on a 12-month campaign that will go valley-wide, hopefully starting in June. It will be in Spanish and English to hope, hopefully lower the sti stigma for community members to ask for help. The second tier is working on community education and trainings. Um, so we actually have one coming up, Safe Talks. It's going to be offered here in Gunnison on the 11th and in, uh, sorry, in Crested Butte on the 11th and Gunnison on the 14th. And I'll leave a flyer in the back if anyone's interested in that. And the last tier is uh, working with health professionals to train them as well in suicide prevention. And there are other panelists here that are working on this three-tiered approach. Could speak to some of those tiers um, a little more in depth. Thanks, Emily. And this event is happening in Crested Butte, but this is a valley-wide phenomenon. 
Um, Chris Peterson is the organizer of the Out of the Darkness Campus Walk. Uh, she's also on the Colorado board chapter of the American Suicide, Amer American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Chris, can you talk a little bit about the goals of the campus walk, what it was, what it was like to be there, and you know, maybe just humanize it. What, just talk about the campus walk if you could. So I originally began the campus walk in 2015. Um, my family had been extremely affected by the three losses in Gunnison High School. So we began that in Gunnison. We've done it for three years. It's been amazing. Two to 400 people each year, but it's bringing the community together and showing them that we've all been affected in one way or another. Um, after the most recent losses in Crested Butte, my walk committee and I decided that Crested Butte needs to be involved. So we have formally switched from a campus walk in the spring in Gunnison to a community walk this fall. September 15th will be the first walk in Crested Butte. From there, we're going to alternate years. So we'll be in Crested Butte one year, Gunnison the next, in the hopes to bring the whole community together. It's not one end of the valley or the other that has the problem. It's all of us, and my main goal is to bring the community together, to open up just conversation with anyone and everyone. My time doing this, I've met so many people that I never knew were affected. I had no idea how they were. They didn't know my family had been involved. So it's been wonderful to meet so many people and be able to share our resources and just also show them it's all of us. It's not just one or two or a few. Thanks, Chris. One of the elements of a solution is this program called QPR, Question persuade, refer. I've spoken with Scott a little bit about this, and I know Stacy Peterson knows a little bit about this. So can we get an overview of QPR, and then let's talk about QPR for a little bit as a method of identifying people in distress. So QPR is, um, is a, basically a, a gatekeeper training, and it's, it, the whole premise is that suicide prevention is everybody's job. You don't have to be a mental health professional. You just have to be somebody who cares. And, um, and it's all about awareness and not being afraid to talk about suicide and ask a person that you're concerned about if this is something that they're considering or if they're having thoughts um, about suicide. And it's a really scary thing to ask a friend that you're worried about if they're dropping some hints or making some statements that you're concerned about. A lot of times people worry that they're going to plant the idea in someone's head of suicide. And there's a lot of myths surrounding um, reaching out and trying to support and ask for help uh, and help people who need help. But um, so the whole QPR program, and it's something that we do yearly here at the school. We train all the staff, and we also we sometimes do it more than once a year. But it's all about learning to recognize um, signs or clues that somebody is in distress or is having a hard time, and then it helps guide you through um, the whole process of how to ask them, how to ask them questions, how to give them some support and provide hope for these people, and then making a, a refer helping them to get the help that they need, a referral, or getting them the support that they need. So we provide these trainings yearly, and I think they're a great training because the whole idea is that every one of us in the community can do something about it if we if we take the right steps. Is this done at the student level at the Crested Butte Community School or is it mostly among educators? So we do the QPR training for the staff yearly. 
Um, and then we actually have another program that we use with students. We teach um, at both sixth grade and ninth grade levels. We have a program called Signs of Suicide. Um, and it's a curriculum that the counselors go into the classroom and they work with students and they teach them. Um, and their, their program calls it Acknowledge, Care, and Tell. So it helps them to recognize friends if they have a friend or a, even a family member or someone that they're worried about to acknowledge what a person might be saying, acknowledge if they're making suicidal statements, um, show them that they care, and then go tell a trusted adult and seek out help from a counselor or a teacher or just any trusted adult. So we're really teaching kids that it's okay to speak up if a friend says something and, and that that's what they need to do. And, and it does work because we do have students who come to the counselors and let us know, you know, my friend said this, I'm really worried about them, so. Would you say that you're putting boots on the ground in suicide prevention with the QPR program? Um, yeah, I really do, I think the QPR program is really important, and then I think the signs of suicide that we teach also is really important. It's a little, it's developmentally more appropriate for the students, but it's kind of a similar idea that it's everyone's job to be looking out for their community and friends. Well, being a student's tough. Scott, you work with students at Western State Colorado University as the Director of Health and Wellness with the students. What's your experience with programs like QPR and how do you equip students at Western to identify and you know, help prevent suicide? Yeah, that's a great question and um, I think Stacey did a wonderful job of kind of presenting what QPR really is doing and um, something else that I think it does is it it creates conversations or allows for conversations um, amongst individuals to kind of get to the point of identifying that it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to, to ask for help um, and so with with students at Western um, it's offered actually as as much as they want um, we had over 12 offerings of QPR to students, staff, and faculty throughout the um, last academic school year, and over um, 230 students, staff, and faculty were introduced to this concept um, around how they can feel that they can be engaging in a conversation and supporting um, an individual. It could be a friend, a peer, a teammate, classmate, um, roommate, and so. It, it, it allows them to just kind of feel like they, they're empowered to be able to support this cause, that it is everybody's business. And it doesn't, um, it's not just limited to experts in the field, that every one of us can play a role in supporting this effort. Um, and so the students respond really well, and actually we had two students that um, were super motivated this past semester in the spring, and they brought in over 50 students to get trained in QPR, and so that was a student-based, um, or three QPR sessions that were just for students and it really allowed for them to just kind of have some open and honest conversations um, and ultimately trying to craft uh, resources that the Gunnison community provides or the, the entire valley provides. Um, and I, I found that to be especially um, 
empowering for them that they, they, they know that they're not alone. And so QPR has certainly provided the platform to start the dialogue and start reducing um, the stigma and normalizing the conversations about talking about mental health like Emily was speaking about earlier. So we're speaking about the program kind of hypothetically, but let's uh, continue to talk about this. So Stacy's with the Crested Butte Community School as a counselor and Scott's with Western State as the director of student health. So let's just say that I'm a student at either of your institutions and I'm acting differently and people know something's up. Maybe I'm not returning my phone, returning your phone calls or however people communicate these days. And um, I'm just acting strange. Something's up, it's obvious. So what are you gonna do? How are you gonna approach me? What are you gonna say to me? Let's start with Stacy. More appropriately, what, what do you tell your students? And how do you instruct them on how to approach someone who might be in distress? Well, again, we just uh, really make it important for staff and students to um, reach out to a counselor or someone to get, seek out some help for a student. So typically, if someone was concerned about a friend or a teacher was concerned about a student, they would refer them to the counseling staff. And we actually have a, um, a pretty, a pretty um, well-established suicide screening protocol. So we ask them, we ask them questions. We kind of assess the situation and determine the level of risk that they're at. And obviously, they're in some distress because they've been referred to us. And so, it might involve um, usually bringing in parents, support systems, figuring out a plan, figuring out a safety plan, making sure that that student's in a safe place and connected with the services that they need immediately. And so that can vary depending on the severity of the situation, but every situation is taken very seriously and um, supports are put in place. And then they're not, they're not just sent out the door. I mean, all of those supports are kept in place and we're really keep looking out for those students. Um, we have a plan to kind of watch them and make sure that they're supported after that one crisis event. Scott, are your experiences similar at Western State? They are, and I, I think I would even take a step back and say that um, QPR is extremely important because um, this is the identification piece that is really important that is um, empowering people to even be able to come to this that next step of referring people to the proper resources. So I can't reiterate it enough that people on our campus or in our community knowing what to look for and, and kind of um, being empowered there is, that's, the, that's a really crucial first step. And um, certainly at Western, there's a variety of ways in which our um, administration may hear about some um, student concerns. One prominent um, way is we have a care team on campus that is stands for our campus um, assessment, response, and evaluation team. And it's a, um, interdepartment uh, team that meets bi-weekly and essentially we have created a, a forum that anyone in anyone anywhere can submit a report and they can remain anonymous as the reporter and um, that report just allows someone to bring to the attention of our care team that they are concerned about um, someone that they know and and so basically that that then is received and kind of filtered through and if we need to convene and meet we convene and meet and um, we try and then ultimately make sure that that individual is safe, first and foremost. Um, as Sarah had alluded to earlier, every, every situation is going to be different. 
and there will be different factors that are playing a role. And so I think that's an important piece. But, but upon contact with an, a student, for us, we're going to be instilling that we care and providing that hope, help, and that we want to provide um, the, an environment that shows that we want to help them. Um, and so from there, we really will kind of um, at times, sometimes it is a referral to the counseling center. Um, and at other times, it's just simply um, planting a seed in other people on campus to kind of keep their eyes open. Um, but I can, couldn't say that we have an exact response for every single situation as it is different. Great. For those just joining on the radio, we're holding a forum on suicide at the Crested Butte Community School. We just heard from Scott Cantrell with Western State. Chris Peterson is with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Out of the Darkness Campus Walk. Stacy Peterson is a counselor at the Crested Butte Community School. Sarah Kramer is the assistant regional manager at the Center for Mental Health who operates in Gunnison and Montrose counties. Nancy Osmondson, who we'll hear from next, is the former ED of the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation. And Dr. John Tarr is the Gunnison County Medical Health Officer and a retired physician here in Gunnison County. Nancy, we'd like to hear from you next. From your experience on the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation, what trends have you seen in suicide throughout the years? Can you give us a little bit of your background and your experiences with the suicide phenomenon in Gunnison County as you do have several years of experience with it? Sure, thank you, Chad, and thanks everybody for coming tonight. Um, you know, certainly in this community, and we, you know, a lot of our panelists have spoken countywide that we have higher than state averages and actually probably now even higher than maybe national averages for suicide rates. And we have a very unique community. One thing that um, I did when I was down in Gunnison was react to the high suicide rates that we had down there at the time with teen suicides. One thing that I really want to focus on tonight, and we've heard, you know, we've got some people here who have great backgrounds and great experience and great education. One thing I want to focus on is this community. Even though we are part of a county, we are a very unique community. And here there are people who have unique concerns and unique passions. And we have these experts like Scott and that are bringing QPR to this community. And that's what I want to get out tonight. QPR is a great training and it works with our high school students and it works with Western but now we're gonna bring it here for the community members to understand because it's the people here in the audience and the people here who are listening that are losing the friends, that are struggling with the suicide questions themselves, that are hearing the people in the bars and restaurants. So what I wanna put out here tonight, um, Chad, is that we have a really strong grassroots movement right here with CB Hope. All of these experts are part of it, but it's really this community that is saying, here's what we need, here's what we're struggling with, and then we are just really facilitating what um, trainings, what um, grief support groups, what um, education, whatever this community needs to react because we are unique and we really wanna make sure that this community is heard and, and everybody who wants to play a role can. Can you talk a little bit more about CB Hope? This is a very recently formed coalition, very recently. So for sure. people who may not have heard of it or just heard, like we said earlier, the tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. tell us, CB Hope. So CB Hope was um, organized, really facilitated by Kathy Napoli and myself a couple of weeks ago, 
two weeks ago, essentially, in response to suicide, some people reached out to us and said, we need to do something. So our role is just to get everybody in the community together who's hurting, who's struggling, who has a service to provide, who has an idea or a thought that they think may work, together in a room. We have weekly meetings. Um, we're trying to alternate them between lunch times during the week, Saturday morning meetings, and the next one will be next Thursday evening at 6 o'clock in Crested Butte. It'll be posted on our CB Hope Facebook page, which is the central um, area for information. And um, we are just rallying ideas and people and experts together. Lots of trainings are coming in Crested Butte. There was one yesterday by Chris Peterson at Town Hall. Scott is organizing people at Western to provide CPR, uh, QPR trainings. The Center for Mental Health will be providing trainings, all free of charge to anybody in the community who wants them, um, just to know more about how to handle this, what questions to ask, what language to use. Um, private providers are coming out of the woodwork, people I didn't even know that were in the community, saying we'll offer free counseling services, we'll offer support groups. So. All that information will be on the CB Hope Facebook page. So we're really just trying to educate, get information out there, and provide whatever support people in this community need. Great, thank you. And I would like to take a question from the audience after the next question. So audience members, please uh, you know, think about asking a question here. Um, but my next question is we talked about boots on the ground, front lines to some degree, and We'd mentioned having students or your friends as being the front lines. At a recent Gunnison County Commissioner meeting, I believe Dr. Tarr was presenting, and he spoke about a plan to potentially train bartenders, hairdressers, people who work in a dispensary, places where people go and open up, and even if they don't realize that they're opening up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is this is this feasible? Is this a plan? Is this something that could happen and help? Absolutely. Uh, interestingly, I went from a health coalition committee meeting, the health and wellness committee, and got my hair cut a week ago, Monday or so. And as I was sitting there in the chair, I asked Kevin the barber, whether he thought this might be a useful thing to put out there to certain members who had close personal contact with individuals who may be hurting. And he said absolutely because he sees people all the time and if their self-care is deteriorating or they seem apathetic or in any way seem to be not their usual self, he would be greatly appreciative if he had some background training to know what to do in those circumstances. And I think Emily is uh, one of her other jobs is tending bar. And she also echoed that, that there may be times, and I think I see Nikki in the back row, who also one of her formal, former jobs was similar, and she, I think, can echo the opinion that people may be unburdening themselves 
of their feelings in situations like that and giving a person who is listening to them the tools with which to intervene could perhaps intercept some of these tragedies in the making. Could it be something as simple as someone gets their hair cut in the hairdresser or the barber or the bartender or the guy at the dispensary or the taxi cab driver or, or, or maybe just hands them a little business card and says, hey, if you need this, I mean, how, how would it work? Would they just call the police yeah. and say, I think this guy's in trouble, this girl's in trouble? Well, I think I'm not going to step on the toes of anybody who provides the training, but there are resources. I think Nancy can address that of such things as a business card or a lifesaver card that maybe has somebody can carry with them that has suggested interventions and things to say and I maybe let her speak to that now. So Chad that's a great question and there are people here in the audience and people that have reached out to me in the past week who own bars who work in bars and restaurants and who've attended our meetings and I thank them all for coming out. Um, the Center for Mental Health will be offering a training and uh, morning and night, and they want specifically for the service people who are hearing the people struggling in our community to be the first to sign up. And it is, of course, dinner, breakfast provided, free of charge. We're also gonna put, um, coasters are being made right now with all the crisis numbers on the back. We'll even have them printed specifically for the particular bars and restaurants with their logo on the front and the crisis numbers on the back and we're now circulating all the crisis numbers um, that are effective in all the bars and restaurants to be put up in the um, bathrooms. Um, the rest, I guess there is a bar owners association here in Crested Butte and they've reached out to us and said, you tell us what we can do. So huge um, efforts to address those people, educate them, provide support, and we really appreciate it. Well, it sounds like there are people working on solutions for sure. Right. One oh, of the other. Chris would like to uh, tackle this one. Just Chris Peterson with the American Suicide American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Then we'll go back to Dr. Tar. One of the many things that the Walks and Gunnison have helped to provide to our valley, and I have hundreds in my car and probably 50 in the back, but it's a wallet size card. It's called the Lifesaver Manual. It's got an 800 number, a text line, an online chat service, and obviously 911 for those specific emergencies. But I carry a ton of these in my purse just in case. I've used them actually at work at times. My kids carry them. I send snapshots to friends of mine. I think these are the greatest things that we have right now available just because they go right in your pocket or the back of your phone or your purse or anywhere else. So that is something we do have immediately. I know we're also working on a local Lifesaver manual. I don't know when that will be quite ready, but we do at least have these in back right now. So you're welcome to them. My card's also back there if you want more than just a couple. I can always drop them off over the next week or so. Yeah, these would be great to have in the various community kiosks around town yeah. and even slip one in your wallet in case a colleague or a friend is, exactly. you know, and, and, and you can say a lot by saying a little by just handing them a card. Oh, right, right, and just even if you drop it and they happen to look at it. And I know um, law enforcement throughout the valley, they at least have some in the office. I don't know if every officer has some right now, but I've been trying to get them out to law enforcement, hospital, anyone who's a first responder and may have a use for it. Great. 
And Dr. Tarr, did you have more to expand on this topic? Well, yes, there has been some conversations in the committees on the coalition considering the lethality of using a firearm to commit suicide of also including institutions or vendors who sell firearms and ammunition and offering training to the salespeople in those types of businesses also. Sarah Kramer with the Center for Mental Health. Yeah, that is one area that we already try to do some outreach in is um, talking to those who sell firearms. Um, and actually, I just want to highlight too, there's a number of resources on the table in the back tonight um, for folks that are wanting uh, more information about how to help your neighbors, how to help your friends. I, I really do want us to send the message tonight that everyone is on the front lines and we all can be helpful to each other. Um, it just takes listening and staying with that person and helping them get to those resources, helping them actually pick up that phone and dial the number, um, sitting with them while they text and making sure that they get that help. So we've got all that resource information and we definitely want you guys to leave tonight with that information. Great, thank you very much. And Stacy's going to expand. Stacy is the Crested Butte Community School counselor. And I just wanted to add on to what Sarah was saying. Um, you know, it's great to hand out a card and have things available, but someone who really is struggling, they are not that likely to just take a card and call on their own. So really being with a person, and like Sarah was saying, help them make the call, make sure they make the call, or getting them to an appointment or where they need to be is really crucial, not just not just giving, handing over the information, but supporting them and helping them use it. Great, and we'll talk more about that later. We, that is on our list of topics. Would anyone from the audience like to ask our panel a question? Could you give us your name and uh, go for it? Hi, uh, my name is Christian. Um, I graduated last year and I stayed here for a gap year. Um, and I'm just wondering what kind of resources there are for younger people because I know too many people, including myself, um, who struggle with this on you know, a pretty frequent basis um, and not enough resources I feel like are going around quite yet. So what do you guys have like in the works or what are you kind of tossing around right now to help people in maybe middle school through college uh, for like those more proactive sufferers thanks for your question I can tell you as of Saturday and we're hoping um, to your question Chad to put this information out this week I'm compiling it as we speak but there are two counselors in town who have come from um, one inner city Denver one um, I believe on the west coast in California who have worked predominantly with youth and they are starting support groups They'll start private counseling. They want to work with the Center for Mental Health to do peer counseling because that's a huge success with young people. We've also had some young people in the community who have said, look, I don't, I don't know what I can do, but I wanna help. I think that peer support is huge. So we are working on that right now. I know it should have been a month ago or six months ago, but we're hoping by the weekend We'll have that information out to the community. It'll be on the Facebook page. And um, we're absolutely working with the youth and your, your age group as well. So thank you. And feel free to reach out to me or any of us for more specific information. 
Sarah Kramer. Yeah, I, I know, I, I want to acknowledge that counseling isn't for everyone, um, but I would also like to say that, you know, the Center for Mental Health offers a wide variety of treatment resources. So what I mean by that is that we have a staff of counselors uh, available. Uh, we offer what we call open access every day, um, where if you come in an hour before our doors close, you're going to be seen. Um, and so we're going to find a staff member who can see you and talk to you about what you're going through. Um, so that's every day of the week down in Gunnison, um, which I know is not Crested Butte, um, but it is a resource that's available. Um, and we are currently working to expand our services up to Crested Butte. Um, we have a grant proposal in right now and um, for remodeling some space up here, um, and we hope to move forward with that project. Uh, so, so counseling is one resource, uh, but I th also think you know the Sources of Strength mm -hmm. program that we've started implementing in this community is huge because it helps people identify other things, um, whether that's mentorships, um, other positive peer supports, uh, other supportive adults, uh, things that they can plug into in the spiritual community. Uh, even just the act of being generous and being helpful to other people um, and just different ways to plug ourselves into the community to through volunteerism all of those things help build connection uh, and connection is a huge part of how we stop this issue is helping people find each other and feel like they belong here Scott would you like to speak on this one yeah. thanks for the question Christian um, and thanks for advocating for yourself and your peers. I think that's that's huge. Um, you know, and as Sarah was saying, there's there is an incredible program that has um, been in the the county for a number of years, specifically at the Gunnison High School and Middle School. Um, that is sources of strength. And just for those that may not have heard about it, it is a um, evidence-based and peer-led suicide prevention program that really does um, seek to have peers kind of serve as agents of change amongst their um, kind of school populations and in that environment. Um, and they are looking to ha see how peers can help increase help-seeking behaviors from um, youth and or young people and individuals to reach out to an, a trusted adult um, when they are needing help. Um, and I understand that that is, you know, you had mentioned kind of a, a younger population. I understand that is um, primarily at the schools and Western will also be implementing that um, in the fall. I know there's adults and that's a whole nother conversation as well, but there certainly are a lot of resources that are being um, implemented and that have been implemented. It does take some time too. And I think Sarah really hit on it that connection is a huge point and I do believe that sources of strength can serve as a um, as a program to help bring communities together um, and they really focus on these protective factors these things that help keep us safe um, and that we can lean on during stressful times and so that could be for different for different people um, for you it could be family for others it could be generosity as um, Sarah had said or for others it could be counseling it could be access to to medical care or positive friends. So that is an incredible program that will be able to impact a large number of students um, that you had kind of alluded to. But thanks again for asking and for advocating for yourself and your peers. You know, I'm hearing sources of strength. Question, persuade, refer. 
CB Hope, 741741. How do you keep all this straight? Which one, what's meant for what? There are a lot of different programs we're talking about here. How do you know which one kind of fits your needs and your desires to be involved in suicide prevention? And Scott, let's let you handle this one. Well, I don't want to speak for the rest of the panel, but I think it's important to identify that the, the resources, the trainings, the services that we have mentioned, they do serve different roles. Um, so sources of strength, some would say, is an upstream prevention model. And um, really easily, that's just um, how can we address the problem before the problem even exists? Um, and so that definitely takes a lot of action and forethought. Um, and so that's what sources of strength is. And so that's trying to work before the problem even presents itself. Um, QPR and Safe Talk, those are what we would classify as crisis intervention trainings to support people that um, can serve as bystanders in a moment when they need to support someone that is in crisis. Um, and so some of those, that's how we differentiate the, between the trainings and the services. Um, the hotlines and the text lines can be used in a multitude of ways that the crisis text line where someone can text home to 741741, that could be in a preventative way. That could be an upstream prevention way that someone is stressed out and they're looking, they wanna be able to engage in a conversation with someone um, via text. Um, and then the other hotlines are once again in a way that they can be used during a crisis or um, really truly before a crisis happens that someone needs to speak and engage and connect with someone. So that that's kind of my two cents on that. They're all different tools and do you view them as complements to each other? Scott, if I could just speak to that, one of the things that Scott and the rest of the panel are working with us on right now is to kind of, if you will, make this as simple as possible for this community. We're trying to get out a list, uh, again, hopefully this week, of prevention services, intervention services, how they work, what they do, and then recovery services. So we're trying to split them into the three different areas. And of course, then they'll be broken down by youth, adults, et cetera. For example, law enforcement. Law enforcement is in the thick of this and they're struggling with it as well. But they are a useful tool. There are a lot of people who think that, oh my gosh, if I call the police, they're gonna throw my friend in jail or they're gonna take me to jail. They won't, they do wellness checks. So we wanna spell that out for people. If you're in a prevention setting, here are all the resources and here's what you can use. If it's crisis intervention, here are all the resources, here's what they look like, here's how they work, here's who to call, and then recovery services as well for people who have lost friends or who have decided not to take that choice themselves. So we're gonna try to provide that um, ASAP. Our next question comes from the audience and it's about recovery. So I was just gonna say, and Nancy brought it up, was we've talked a lot about prevention and intervention and crisis intervention. But when you have a community that is, needs to heal and has a lot of pain, what services are you guys working on and what is there to, um, for the community, for those that are dealing with that loss and trying to heal? In addition, just as a comment, I would like to say that I'd rather be in a community where there is so much choice that they, that they have all of these options than not having those. So I think that it's really commendable to see a culture change um, because that's what needs to happen. It has to have those conversations, and I really think it needs to become where it is about intervention, prevention, and also recovery. Um, it all comes together because that recovery is going to help with prevention and with intervention. 
Yeah, I think we at the center um, largely provide a lot of that recovery work. Um, we do provide counseling in the mental health arena, in the substance use disorder arena. Um, we can provide grief support. Uh, so we're there, our doors are open, um, and I just would want to remind people that, you know, we do have that open access and it's all day, um, and so people can just walk in our door, you don't even need an appointment. Uh, so that's, that's just one way to get started, that's one path to healing, um, but we're not the only gig in town. Um, I've got a resource list, um, and, and technically we're not in this town, um, so I've got a resource list um, in the back of the room of all the local area providers, because we, we believe in hope and healing, and, and healing is healing, so wherever you find that um, within our community, we're going to support that. Uh, so there's a lot of great providers um, that are available to you. And even if you're not, even if you're not in Gunnison or Montrose, where the Center for Mental Health, the actual brick and mortar building is, there are still ways to connect with the organization when you're in need. So you do not necessarily have to walk through the door, so to say, to begin the process. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we've done a really good job in the public health arena in is, is teaching everyone when you're in a medical emergency, call 911. We haven't done as good of a job with teaching people where to call when you're in a mental health emergency. So I want us to commit those phone numbers to memory. Have that 741-741 in your brain. 970-252-6220, um, that's a lot of digits. Um, so put it in your cell phone. Um, carry it with you so that you can call. And you can call those as just a concerned citizen who is like, I don't know what to do to help my friend. Um, and those individuals picking up the phone or answering your text are gonna guide you as, as to what your next steps can be. All the better if you can bring your, you know, bring that person in to that phone call with you um, so that they can talk to that professional directly. And Chad, real quickly, back to the recovery piece that you asked about. Um, I, again, part of this week's goal, hopefully by the weekend, um, I'll have a list of providers in the community um, finances are a barrier to a lot of people, and every single provider has said, I'll offer this many free um, sessions. Um, we're raising money to help with continuing sessions, but we'll have a list of local providers here in Crestview Butte, exactly what they provide, how many free sessions they'll provide, grief groups, um, support groups, and a suicide anonymous group that is being formed as well. So look at the CB Hope Facebook page. Great, we would like to take another question from the audience. Could you give us your name and then please present your question? Hi, my name is Ben Nielsen. Uh, I'm affected by suicide and I started getting involved with the Out of the Darkness Campus Walk and um, um, fundraising and really trying to get involved um, because this is such a widespread problem and it affects everybody. Um, I would... Uh, I'm, my question is, I, uh, you were talking about the training, and I would like to become more involved. If you could elaborate on like, what an individual such as myself who wants to be involved, um, how can I get training to recognize signs and um, that sort of thing? Maybe we could speak about time commitments, location commitments, and spell it out for people like Ben who said, who are interested, who want to figure out how to do a little bit more, what are they, what are they really looking at? 
I'm going to let the experts speak to that, but I'll just tell you shortly, Ben, check out the CB Hope Facebook page because all of these people who are offering those trainings, the specifics will be on there. And so that's kind of your central location to find out when and where and how long and how and all that. But I'll let them speak more to the details. So our upcoming trainings, um, we did just have Safe Talk yesterday here in Crested Butte. Um, or excuse me, Talk Saves Lives. <laughs> uh, Safe Talk is coming up again here in Crested Butte on June 11th. We have the first training from 8.30 until noon and the second training from 5.30 to 9. That's all at Town Hall. Uh, we're hoping to do that again later this year. Uh, and then in Gunnison on June 14th, same times from 8.30 to noon and 5.30 to 9. We'll be doing that also. It's for that one, it's a little more in-depth than the Talk Saves Lives that I did yesterday, but it gives you more detail as to how to speak to someone, how to recognize the signs. And then we'll also, we're looking at some other full-day trainings that haven't been scheduled yet, but uh, some are supported by AFSP, some are supported specifically by Center for Mental Health or GCSAP. Um, so we have a lot of different groups that are trying to provide a lot of trainings. We're also discussing QPR training in July, I believe. Uh, so some are longer. Uh, Talk Saves Lives is about 90 minutes. Safe Talk is a few hours. And then, like I said, ASSIST is, is a full day training. Um, mental Health First Aid we just had up here, I want to say three weeks, Two. about three weeks ago. Um, hopefully we can do that again. That one is also an eight-hour training. So there's a lot of trainings. Some are not as in-depth, but we'll have everything on the Facebook page. I also have a list up here that I forgot to put out, but if you would like more information, I've got an email list that I've been compiling from different groups that I've spoken to and, and different events that I've been to and different trainings. So you, we can always add your name to that also and start getting the word out. But I think uh, CB Hope is the best way through social media to find that. And Chris, these are all, volun these are all voluntary. And are you required to attend every single one of these? Do they build upon each other or do they each provide kind of like a different skill set, so to say. They, I think that they would all build on each other, but you don't have to be at every single one. People have a lot going on, jobs, kids. Exactly. You know, their own leisure time. Yep, and I forgot to mention the training in Gunnison on June 14th will be at the Fred Field Center. So just to get that out there. But it is, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of energy, and I know just from my personal experience, I can sit and talk for hours. I can sit and do training for hours, but the minute I'm done, I am exhausted. So an eight-hour training, I think, would be a lot unless you're prepared for it, at least from my standpoint. But I also do most of mine during my lunch hours and, and try and fit in between work and life and, and the you know, eight-to-five job. So it is a scheduling thing. But to start with, you know, pick one shorter training and then continue to build on that and even do it again next year. Keep yourself refreshed. Um, there's a lot of information that you can also look up just to refresh your mind a month or three after. Great, thanks. I wanna switch gears here briefly. Um, this forum, we put it together last week and a member of our audience over here, James, is with the Crested Butte Marshals Department. He reached out to me yesterday and said, hey, I'm 
I can talk from the law enforcement perspective. So I'd like to hear a little bit from James. Um, what happens when the law, in, what happens when law enforcement gets involved? Are you there to kick down someone's door and drag them away? What is your role in suicide prevention? Thanks, Chad. Uh, so my name is James with the Marshal's Office. Um, I kind of want to get rid of the stigmatism that a lot of people don't want to call law enforcement because they think that their friend's going to go to jail or that any kind of situation like that. And we don't take anybody to jail on a mental health hold. Um, the only place they can go is actually the Gunnison Valley Hospital. Um, so that's, that's a new law that passed um, last year, and it's taken full effect in August. Um, but we've already been implementing it for since last August. Um, we have the ability, we usually get notified by friends or family um, or dispatch or the crisis line that we need to go check on someone. Um, depending on the circumstance, uh, if the location's unknown, we can use our dispatch to track the cell phone number um, to get a location. Uh, depending on the circumstance, we, we will go into a house um, if we think that that person's in danger. If there is a risk for self-harm or harm for others, um, we will do everything we can to help that person and whether that's take them to our office and have them get with mental health and mental health will now is now working on driving up to meet that person in person do a face-to-face -face, or if it's us transporting them down to Gunnison to the hospital and uh, getting them getting them on board with mental health or getting the medication that they need um, so we're more than happy to do welfare checks if you have a friend or family member that you're concerned about we're more than happy to go check on them um, if you think that there's a weapon that could be involved, please, please notify us. Um, like, again, I know that a lot of people don't like to use law enforcement and they're worried about it, but every officer in our department carries the lifesaver cards in their car. Um, multiple officers from every agency in the county have done crisis intervention training, um, which is an intense week-long course specifically designed on how to help people in a crisis and how to talk to that person with the goal of getting them safely to the next care provider, which would be the ER mental health. So we're here to help you. We're here to don't, don't be feared from us. We're, we're here to help out. We're, we're just as much involved in this as everyone else is. So. And James, is this a situation where people call 911? Do they call the Crest Butte Marshal's office? How do they get a hold of law enforcement here in the Valley? And I would assume that no one in the listening audience or here is taking notes on specific phone numbers, but everyone's got Google. So what's the best way to get a hold of the Crested Butte Marshals Department, the Gunnison Police, the county, depending on what jurisdiction you're in? The best bet is to call Gunnison Dispatch, 970-641-8200. Uh, um, but if you're ever in doubt for someone's safety immediately, 911. Um, it's always 911. Uh, don't try to call our office because we don't always have someone there. Dispatch always has someone there. And 911 is your quickest bet. So if, if you're ever in, in fear uh, or in doubt, just call 911. Great. Do we have another question from the audience? I do. I, we have many questions from the audience. This next question comes from Cassidy. Hi. Um, I am curious in a broader context, um, obviously, Suicide relates a lot to mental illness, which can have a lot of internal factors, but there's some external factors, um, especially where we live. Uh, the isolation um, of the location of where we live, the seasonal nature of our community, um, the challenge in finding affordable housing, the challenge in having um, a living wage. How does this relate in the broader context um, 
and how do we address that um, in a larger way? So I guess the question is about the factors that play into mental illness here. What are they and how do they play into it in our mountain communities? We'll start well, with Sarah from the Center for Mental Health. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that all of those things do play a role in suicide. Um, so pieces of what we need to do are, are helping people access the care they need when they have mental illness, um, which might mean coming in to see us or some other counselor. Um, we offer services, also psychiatry services, and um, I'm pleased to be able to say that in the past we've had to offer that by televideo, um, but recently we've been able to bring on um, a nurse practitioner who now meets with patients face to face. Um, so you can you can meet with that individual if, if medications are part of the solution for treating um, those those problems. Um, but it's also access to other kinds of care, um, chronic pain can be a huge risk factor for, for suicide, um, other tr untreated medical conditions, um, t traumatic brain injury, um, these are all things where we need, you know, this, the whole system to work together to make sure that people get the care they need. Um, social factors like our housing situation, um, trauma, the culture we live in, all of that stuff starts to, to, to impact an individual. Um, so what we want to do is really continue to send a message to people um, that, that this is not the solution, uh, that suicide is not the answer, and that there's other ways to, to solve this, these multitude of issues. Um, and, and we want to communicate that this, this is devastating to the community, um, that it's not okay, that we don't find that acceptable, and we don't want to stop addressing all of those issues until we can say we had zero suicides this year. We had zero suicides again this year. Um, so I, I can't say I have an answer as to how to fix every single one of those issues, um, but I would say that they're all part of it uh, and that we as a community need to, to be looking for how do we look out for one another, how do we take care of one another, and how do we make sure that people's basic needs and, and psychosocial needs are met. And Cassidy, I think another um, thing that's really been talked about up here in Crested Butte is getting rid of the stigma of mental illness and depression and sadness and the struggles that we have in this community. And I think the only ways that we achieve that, um, and you're right, there's no one answer for every situation. Every situation is unique. But talking about it, getting rid of the stigma, talking honestly about suicide, talking honestly about sadness and the loss that we're experiencing in this community and that it's okay to be sad from it. It's okay to struggle. And so um, trying to rid of the stigma, trying to get education out there about the resources that are available. And I think also some of these support groups that are being formed that are just drop-in support groups. Hey, I'm struggling. I don't even know why, but I am really struggling and being able to find like-minded people in a general support group that are there that are going through the same thing. So we're trying to, to get a lot of that out there, peer support as well as professional support. And let's turn to Dr. Tarr. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think Sarah said it early on is that it's okay to not be okay. If you ask a friend, how's it going? And they say, great, and you have a sense that it's not so great, 
you can always say, well, really, really, how is it going? And rather than just the pleasantry of the time of day, ask the question with sincerity and caring and don't take the easy answer. Where's the appropriate place to ask that question? Is it in line for the coffee shop? Is it at the tavern? Or do you pull someone outside and say, hey man, how you really doing? Where do you do it? Well, I think that takes a certain amount of judgment, but I would imagine that it's going to work better if you say, let's go, have that let's go over to that table in the corner and talk about this. And that's where, if you have had the QPR training or something similar, you're not floundering as much as to how to deal with it. But I think the first step is, no, really. How is it going? Sarah? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a wrong time to ask that question. I think when we communicate that we really care about people and we really want to know that we're always hitting the mark. Our next question comes from the audience. This is Leah. Hi, I'm Leah Fisher. I'm with uh, the ambulance service in town. Um, and I have taken several patients down. And one of our concerns uh, that I hope is being addressed is uh, the fact that there is no access to personal mental health um, counselors after hours and on weekends. And I didn't know if that was something in the process that may be changing. Yeah, uh, so we have we have a crisis response team at the Center for Mental Health. Um, we actually, so we serve a six county area. Uh, it's Delta, Montrose, Uray, San Miguel, Gunnison, and Hinsdale County. So we're responsible for crisis services for that entire region, which is very rural, very spread out. Um, and we have five crisis cl clinicians that are currently covering that area. Uh, so right now, um, we're fortunate actually in Gunnison that our peak hours uh, where crisis tends to happen is Friday through Sunday. Um, we actually do have, the, one of the crisis individuals lives in Gunnison and that's his shift. Um, so right now, you can get a face-to-face -face with him um, uh, over the weekend um, and that he he generally would meet with people at the hospital, but can go to other locations um, as long as it's safe. Um, so that's one thing that's happening. Um, but if he, he's not on call, because crisis happens any time of the day, um, you can also be put on through televideo with our crisis staff 24-7. Um, so they will respond um, and, and get that kind of face-to-face, -face, even if it's not literally face-to-face. Um, the other thing we're doing um, that is set to go live this summer um, is that we're bringing a crisis stabiliz stabilization unit to the Western Slope. Uh, we haven't had that uh, historically. The closest place to go get real psychiatric care has been in Grand Junction. Um, and it takes quite a bit of energy and effort to get someone all the way over there. Um, so right now, we are in the process of building and. I think it's really close, um, but later this summer we'll be taking our first patients in Montrose at the Crisis Stabilization Unit. Um, that'll have 24 beds, um, 19 of which will be dedicated to mental health, five of which will be dedicated to detox, 
and then eventually um, we'll be able to take adolescents there also. Um, so that's a huge thing, and um, the other thing that's nice with that is that we have a grant already secured uh, for transportation. Um, so in the past, we've had to rely on law enforcement and other entities to help us to get patients where they need to go, uh, and we'll be able to actually come um, to this community and transport people um, to wherever they need to be, whether that is the crisis stabilization unit or on to further psychiatric care. Uh, so that's a great new resource that we're really excited to bring. Um, I know it's still, Montrose is still a ways away, but uh, it's definitely an improvement on the current situation. So I have a question that curtails off of that. These are very small communities, Crested Butte and Gunnison. And one of the great things with mental health or with mental health counseling is that it's confidential, but it's pretty tough to do anything in our communities without someone knowing about it. So how do we, you know, how do we know this is confidential? How do we keep it confidential? Um, I'm just, I can relate a personal anecdote where I saw a counselor when I was in college. I saw her in the grocery store. I said hello, and she ran away. And then I saw her again, and she said, never do that again. And you know, I, I understand now why, but for people who don't understand that, can you explain how confidentiality works in really small communities? Sure, uh, it, it is, it's tricky. Uh, you know, we, we do see each other. We're all part of the same community. Um, so certainly uh, people who come into our clinic um, can expect that we are gonna hold their information confidential, that we're not gonna go talking about it, that we're not gonna use your name, we're not gonna allow people access to your information. Um, and our counselors are trained really to respect that um, even outside of our walls. So you're always welcome to say hi to us, um, but we're not gonna do that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly something where uh, it's, it's up to you if you feel comfortable saying hi to us. Um, as far as crisis th goes, um, there are some limits to that confidentiality, and so I want to be honest about that. Um, when, when people are really in a place where we're concerned about their life um, and that they might be planning to end their life, uh, we're going to intervene in every way that we need to to support that person. And so sometimes that does mean that we're going to involve law enforcement or we're going to involve other entities to make sure you get the care that you need. Um, we may even ask your permission, can we contact some of your family to help with this situation or some of your friends to help with this situation. Um, but we're going to do that honestly and upfront um, so that you know how your information is being used. Thank you. We've got another question from the audience. Could you give us your name and please ask the question? My name is Monica Mesa, and I'm not sure if this is a question for you or something to consider, but coming from the yoga culture here and just in the country, I've noticed that there is a great deal of suicide in our community. and. Sometimes I think it's because people come to yoga for healing, you know, food addictions, drug addictions, you know, all kinds of depression issues and all these kinds of things. And one thing that when you were talking about asking people questions and asking them a little bit more about 
do you, did you really feel that way? One thing that I do as someone who is constantly in, in these situations with people that I know have problems is I'm a little bit more open about my own, like if somebody asks me, how are you? You know, I will say, well, actually, you know, I'm moving through some big stuff right now. And, you know, it's kind of having a hard day. I'm going to make an appointment with my therapist or my healer or, you know, I'm going to go to my Al-Anon meeting tonight or things like that. And I wonder what you think about that for, like, the leaders in our community being more open about talking that way because then people will be like, oh, wow, you know, she's got a therapist and she's going to Al-Anon and, well, maybe I'll open up to her or maybe I'll, you know, ask her what that meeting is like and those kinds of things. And that way, not only, not only our children, because a lot of the adults in our community have been the ones that have been committing suicide, but children also start to hear, you know, adults saying, you know, I'm going to Al-Anon or, you know, I'm, I'm going to see my therapist and I'm having a hard day. I'm going to, you know, so I guess I'm asking you what you think about that and if we as leaders in the community, teachers, counselors, uh, you know, law enforcement officers, we can be more open mm -hmm. about our own, you know, down moments and stuff like that. I think that is such a huge question. It goes back to that getting rid of the stigma. We all have our stuff and um, none of us are exempt and none of us are without our issues. And um, this is one thing we talked about in our Saturday meeting. It's shocking how many people have considered suicide or thought about it. None of us are exempt from issues and challenges and struggles. So I think that especially in a very, very small community, an intimate community where we know everybody, um, not that you have to pour out everything on the, you know, at the bench on the corner of Elk, but I think that being genuine and being real helps tremendously to erase the stigma of mental health challenges and struggles in life. So I think that, I think that's huge. I think it's really huge. You know, I'm really grateful that you brought that up because um, I just think that authenticity is huge, as Nancy was saying, and that genuine kind of approach to life. And I would, I'll say, you know, that all of us here have all had our own struggles. And I think storytelling is a really powerful way as a community within a safe place um, of healing through tough times. But I, I think the important piece is how can we tell stories from kind of a, a place of hope, help, strength, and instead of sad, shock, trauma. And what I mean by that is kind of how can we, um, you know, tell a story and if we're kind of, we've recovered or we're on the healing end, how can we express to someone else how we got through those hard times and use that as a way um, kind of, of planting that seed of hope for others. But I do think that storytelling and sharing our own experiences, and I would extend it beyond the occupations that you kind of mentioned, I would say everyone can play that role. Um, that no one would be excluded from that, but that can be a really great way of bringing in that connection piece. And Sarah's mentioned that several times, the power of connection, but when we have authentic connection or genuine connection, and especially in a day and age where 
technology is running the life of us on a daily basis and we have Facebook and social media platforms that allow us to provide this picturesque and picture or perfect picture but that face-to-face -face and being authentic I think you you nailed it is a crucial pillar for kind of how we can support a small community for those in the listening audience on KBUT, we just heard from Scott Cantrell, who's the Director of Student Health and Wellness, Western State Colorado University. We're also joined by Chris Peterson of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She also organizes the Out of the Darkness Campus Walk in Gunnison. Stacy Peterson is Crest Butte Community School Counselor. Sarah Kramer is an Assistant Regional Manager with the Center for Mental Health. Nancy Osmonds, and former executive director of the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation. She's also grassroots organizer of CB Hope, which we've spoken about several times tonight. If you're at home, why not just head over to Facebook and check out CB Hope right now? And we're also joined by Dr. John Tarr, Gunnison County Medical Health Officer and retired physician here in Gunnison County. I'm Chad Rich. Thanks so much for everyone being here in the audience tonight and joining us on the radio. Our next question comes from the audience. This is Harry. Thanks, Chad. Um, there's a large number of uh, baby boomers that are aging, and um, I'm sure that there's issues with suicide in that population. You, you mentioned that, that the oldest person this past year was 85. Are there issues, are there, um, are there resources and are you reaching out perhaps differently to that population than you would say an, a 15 year old who's struggling? Um, and can you address that a little bit? I guess the question is how do you touch or reach different people? Yeah, that is the $64,000 question like that old, ancient, for those of us who are baby boomers and older. Uh, I think everyone has their own unique needs, and those approaches have to be very much individualized. The statistics on that are that the suicide rate amongst the elderly is not as high as it is during the middle years of life. And there was one 85-year-old, and I can very briefly go through the ages of some of the others. Ages were 46, 51, 46, 70, 85, 32, 31, and 39. So, and that, the locals' numbers tend to mirror that that I'm familiar with nationally and statewide, and that is that, that midlife is a high-risk time of life. So, but in that, not dodging your question, I don't think that there is a specific effort to target the aging population in prevention strategies. Yeah, I think one of the things we need is continued community involvement and questions like that one. Uh, so, so the Hope Coalition, the One Valley Prosperity 
Projects Health Co Coalition down in Gunnison, like we need that community involvement to tell us where we're missing people. Because um, we do, uh, you know, if, if we could say there were zero suicides last year, I would say we were hitting the park, you know, the, the ball out of the park, but we're not, we're missing people. So, you know, if there are creative ideas about how how do we reach those individuals who aren't coming in our door, who aren't picking up the phone? Uh, we want to hear those. Um, I think, you know, that's where things like the barbershop idea or the bartender idea or getting into the schools came from is having the community come t and be at the table and, and say, wait a second, have you thought about these people? Um, and getting us all to go, okay, well, well what do we do? Who and who do we send into that area um, to make sure that we are reaching everyone? And you know, I would just say, I, I don't want to say that CB Hope is the be all end all answer, but that is sure what we're trying to be. We are trying to be a venue and an outlet for this community to come and say, what about us? This is what we need. And, and we're trying to make sure that we leave every meeting with some kind of action and finding the resources when you come and say, what about us? We need some support. Or when Christian said, what about us? Then saying, okay, who in the community can do this? What can we do this week? Can we get one provider to start providing support groups for that age? Where's your specialty? So we're hoping come to the, keep coming to the meetings and, and ask those questions. You know, I'd say I'm impressed by the representation of um, age groups and people in the room. It shows that this topic touches everyone. This next question comes from Christopher Biddle in the KBUT newsroom. A few earlier did as well. Thank you, Christopher, for sending me out with some questions. What about the whole state of Colorado or other mountain towns? What's the situation elsewhere? We mentioned five suicides in the valley this year, eight last year. There's maybe 15,000 people. That's just a guess. Is this similar in Summit County, Steamboat, other mountain communities, or is Gunnison County kind of an outlier right now? I actually looked that up a week or so ago. Colorado ranks sixth from the top in suicide rates nationally. Gunnison County was more or less in the middle of the pack. Now these are old numbers. These are 2016 or 2017 numbers, but Gunnison County was more or less middle of the pack, uh, ranked something, oh, 30th or 37th or something like that. I and, don't remember And that's per exactly. capita, I would assume, not total right. number, because many counties right. yeah, have. that's a rate. Yeah. That's not a number. Okay. So we're right in the middle. We we're, in the, we're in the middle of the state, but the state is in definitely one of the leaders. I hate to use that term. Sure. But one of the most severely afflicted in the country. So do we have any idea why Colorado is one of the more severely afflicted in the country? The weather, if it's not freezing cold, tends to be nice. There's more work than people right now. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of growing disparities like income and wealth inequality, and a lot of people still live kind of on the edge in rural areas and are continuing to be pushed out. That is a question that it would take a solemnic amount of wisdom to answer, and I don't think, I certainly do not possess the wisdom of Solomon. 
I think we've all seen the articles that are around and there are lots of factors that people speak to, which is the um, transient nature of the community, you don't form those deep bonds, substance abuse, um, struggling with, as Sarah said, housing and making money, et cetera. You live in a beautiful place, why should you be sad? Everybody's happy. So I think, um, you know, we can all surmise about what those are. I think, again, it's just getting the conversation going and addressing them. Okay, I'd like to ask another question, and this has to do with the concept of fatigue. Um, there's such a thing as compassion fatigue, where maybe you care about someone or you have to, you have to provide so much compassion that over time it starts to wear out. With all these different efforts going on in the valley, is anyone worried about it being too much? Is there such a thing as too much? when it comes to suicide prevention? Is there a way that having all of these different things happening all the time could lead to some sort of fatigue around the topic? Which one of you wants to tackle that one? This is Sarah with the Center for Mental Health. So I think right now is a great time to be doing all these things. We find that more people show up for trainings when when the community is talking about it. So it's a great time to get the information out. Um, and I'm, I'm not particularly worried that we're doing too much. On an individual level, though, compassion fatigue can affect every one of us. Um, and so we need to, to really treat ourselves well while we do this work. Um, we. I guess you could use the analogy of the lifeguard, right? Like you need to be a pretty strong swimmer um, to be able to help those who are drowning. And so we want to be careful and make sure that we're in a healthy place when we go to reach out to other people. Um, that doesn't mean stop and don't do anything if you're not feeling particularly well, but um, you know, do, honor your own limits um, and get other help yourself if, if someone's need is stretching you if you need to spend time with your family or spend time with yourself or spend time on a project that's been lingering, by all means, make sure to include that in your life as you maybe bring in these new skills is kind of what you're saying. Yep. Okay. I got a mountain bike a lot. <laughs> Good for you. And you can also just use the resources that fit you best. You know, you can make, take advantage of the certain trainings or the certain ideas and resources it's not like you have to be doing everything if you pick a couple things and do those well and what fits well for you. I think that's the most important thing. Great, the next question I'd really like to touch on um, involves myself, Mark, Will Shoemaker's in the audience here as well. He's with the Gunnison Times. Thanks for coming up tonight, Will. Um, it involves the media. What is appropriate, what methods are appropriate for the media to report on suicide? There was a recent issue where some details were placed in the newspaper and some people reacted um, and didn't like it. What's appropriate? How do we as the media address individual incidents, so to say? Could you give us some advice how to do it? And now with social media, everyone's the media. So what advice could you give to people who feel the need to put something on social media. So maybe talk about the traditional media first and the new media next. And I realize this is probably all opinion-based, so anyone that could share on this, we'd love to hear it. We're still trying to figure it out, too. Um, 
And I unfortunately didn't anticipate that, so I don't have the full sheet, but I will send it to all of you guys. Um, a few things that are suggested, and I'm hoping Scott will be able to pull it up, but excluding the means. That, that has always been a big thing. I've, I remember seeing, it was right before a service I went to after we'd all been affected, and I believe I called Will's boss and I said, that comes down now because the headline was death by suicide. And that was absolutely for the respect of the family, the respect of everyone involved, not starting it that way. You know, starting with the loss of, or something a little softer for those that have been affected so greatly, um, excluding the means, excluding any details that the family may not want released. I know for me, I handled um, three dif different losses and every single family member spoke to me and said, I want you to call and I want you to let them know they can say this, they can say this, please don't say this. So I think for media, a lot of it just personally is respecting everyone. And you know, maybe respecting the family, but the whole community. It's, it's a very fine line with that part of it. Um, social media, again, respecting the family. That was for us personally. I knew my son was not aware. He just lost his best friend. He saw on Facebook. So, you know, again, just being respectful is a huge thing for me. I think Scott's trying to pull up a little bit more, so I'll hand it off to him. When, when you say the means, are the means suicide or is it the specific act that was taken? The specific act, okay, thank you. And Scott? Yeah, Chad, I think that's a, that's a great question because I think while it may specifically pertain to some of the people that you had alluded to, I think it, it is all of our kind of business as well since we are very connected. But um, coming from an article um, that's titled Preventing Suicide, a Resource for Media Professionals that was sponsored by the World Health Organization, um, they do discuss some points that are important. And um, I think one of the points that they um, bring up is the consideration for family and friends and the community. Um, and I know that Carissa kind of already alluded to that, but taking that into consideration, just knowing kind of where um, they're coming from. But um, I think a positive that is mentioned in this article is taking this as an opportunity to really educate the community. Um, and once again, doing that from kind of a place of hope, help, strength, and um, really respecting the family and avoiding any language that may sensationalize or kind of praise um, or normalize suicide. Um, and really kind of those catchy headlines, being really conscientious about what goes into the headlines um, and kind of having those headlines being worded uh, carefully, but um, sticking to the facts. I know Sarah had mentioned that, that we really want to encourage factual information to, that when it is presented, that's presented accurately. Um, but also um, recognizing that I think providing information can be, in this in instance, a really good opportunity to see who, where can you go for help? Who, who can you reach out to? Um, and once again, we've really been talking a lot about the dissemination of information and resources and services in this community and in general, but using that as an opportunity to present that information um, compared to other detailed information about the situation that really doesn't do any good for the public, um, but information about what lines can I contact or who's there for me um, really does send a, a positive message. So I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. It does. 
We have about 15 minutes left this evening. Would anyone else in the audience like to pose a question to our panel? If not, I've got a few more. Will from the Gunnison Times. Thank you, Will. Um, Dr. Tarr, you spoke to some of the statistics um, related to uh, suicide deaths in the county from last year in particular. I happened to come across those a couple days ago and there's a very clear connection with substance use and abuse. And I'm curious from you guys' perspective how that idea fits into some of the things you've already talked about, whether it be QPR, some of these other training sessions that are in the works. Um, you know, we as a community, a lot of us um, work in or are reliant upon these industries that, you know, whether it be alcohol or cannabis, um, are, are very closely related to substance use and abuse. What can you guys say about that? Well, I think that sort of becomes uh, a bit of a chicken and egg. Maybe that's a poor metaphor. But whether or not people who are susceptible to suicide also are susceptible to substance abuse, uh, I guess that is a, a fundamental question as to whether there's a predisposition to both rather than cause and effect. The, one of the things we learn in medical training is that, that association doesn't necessarily imply causation. However, whether or not there are personality types or people with mental illnesses that make them more susceptible to substance use and also more susceptible to suicide. Uh, I think that's a very difficult question to answer, but I think alcohol plays a very prominent role and that is, I, I believe, one of the things that you should consider if you're worried about a friend and they do tend to, uh, they do abuse intoxicants because intoxicants can lower the threshold, lower the inhibitions and probably play a causative role in addition to an associative role. So I'm not sure that answers your question, but I'm not sure the question is really precisely answerable. And Nancy, with uh, former ED of the Gunnison Valley Health Foundation and with CB Hope. Mm, yeah, thanks for that question. I mean, I, I, I think um, substances, as you know, play a different role with each per person. Sometimes they're a depressant, sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes it's simple medication, prescription medications that are off. Um, that play a role in a person's suicide. So I think it's definitely a factor, one of them. And I think we would be remiss if we weren't addressing it as well. Uh, we're really excited to have some people from Alcoholics Anonymous come to uh, participate with CB Hope. I think it's the same thing. Get more of that information out there. I couldn't tell you when their meetings are. I couldn't tell you when they met. But I know for some people, 
that's a huge factor. And so, uh, you know, I think at this point, we have to address everything we can. It's kind of that shotgun approach. Let's put it all out there, get that information out there for people. And as Dr. Tarr said, if you know somebody who struggles with alcoholism, we had a gentleman at our meeting last week who said, you know what, I had a gun to my head for three months until I realized I was an alcoholic. And so, you know, somebody obviously got him there. So again, I think the best we can do is get that information out there and address all of those issues, and it is certainly a factor. I'd like to ask a question that literally came through the door at KBUT yesterday. Um, a friend and a colleague of mine walked in, said, Chad, what are you doing? I said, I'm working on this forum. Uh, for tomorrow night, we're gonna talk about suicide, and we're gonna put it on the radio. And he said, you know, the one thing I've always been curious of is in that last moment, before someone decides to act on it, why didn't they just pick up the phone and call their best friend or their family member or their counselor or whatnot? And I can relate to this because when Mark and I started talking about this forum, we brought up the concept of, you know, everyone always says, hey, my door's always open, my phone's always there, you can always reach out, but what happens? You know, what, what, what gets people to the point where they can't get to the door, the metaphorical door that is always open? They can't, they don't wanna pick up the phone. You know, his, his question was, why didn't they just do that? Why didn't they just pick up the phone? And I guess that's the question I have for some of you to help uh, my friend understand, as well as other people understand, what's going on in that last moment that they, that they just can't overcome. Sarah with Center for Mental Health. I don't know if we know, because um, certainly it, it's hard to ask people those questions, right, about where they were at that point. Um, but, but a lot of the things that we think are there, go back to our original messaging, right? We need to tell people that it is okay to not be okay. Um, so that they, and, and we need that to be the belief in our culture here, so that when it comes down to it, I'm not thinking they said their door was always open, but I don't really believe I can go to them, right? I don't really believe I'm worthy of someone else's help. Um, we need to give people that message that we all belong here um, and that it is okay, it truly is okay to ask for help. That doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Um, and so that's, that's the crux of it to me, is, is teaching every one of us and, and, and living that message to each other um, that you're worthy of belonging and you're worthy of help. Chris Peterson. One thing that comes up in the uh, Talk Saves Lives training is the question of imagine the most pain you've ever been in. And for some people it's a broken bone or a car accident, childbirth for some of us. At that moment, can you give somebody directions to your house who's never been to Crested Butte? In that, that horrific pain that you're in, are you thinking clearly? And I, I think a lot of people are, although it's not a physical pain, it's, it's a spot where they, they can't get out of the darkness, they can't see beyond that, but they also aren't thinking straight, and so they aren't able to pick up the phone and call a friend. They, they've reached a point where that may no longer be an option, but they may have also tried numerous times. 
and you know somebody had to go or they had a meeting we're all busy and you know it's it is life but I think at some point some people just reach that point where they don't think clear enough to say I'm gonna run over to somebody's house or you know I'm gonna text 10 people and see if someone can respond to me and with having QPR and your friends watching after each other the goal is to stop it before you get to that point where you're no longer thinking clearly you're no longer thinking the way that you have for the first x number years of your life minus these last few minutes and that's kind of the overall goal of suicide prevention and suicide prevention training am i correct in believing that uh, let's take this from stacy peterson crested butte community school counselor um so i think that one thing that's really important to remember with prevention efforts is um, it's kind of a continuum. The first thoughts of suicide could go on for years before someone finally gets to a, a, a triggering event or a suicide crisis. And so it's really important to put a lot of our intervention efforts um, in the earlier stages when somebody might not even be suicidal at that point, but maybe just showing signs of depression. Um, depression untreated depression is um, really, it's the number one risk factor for suicide. And when we can recognize signs of depression and signs of other, maybe mood disorders or other problems that somebody's having and try and intervene then, it's a lot easier than intervening in the moments of, you know, a suicide crisis may only last a couple hours or, or a day or two. But um, intervening early on is super important when you kind of think about the whole big picture because the suicide part really is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the whole, the, everything that's going on underneath. Um, there's a lot of things that happen before it, people get to that point. And I think that talking about it, Stacy, in the community and making it okay to not be okay is a huge piece, but I just, I still keep going back to what this community is saying that we need the prevention, we have to have the intervention, and we have to have the recovery to prevent future incidences. And you know, one person may, use that anonymous text line. One person may reach out to a friend. One person may do nothing. One person may call law enforcement or let a friend do that. So I think we, I don't think there's a simple answer. It's such a complex issue. I think we put it all out there and hope that any of these tools are gonna affect one person. Great, well in order to respect the audience's time, I'd like to begin to wrap this up. Um, but before we do that, I'd like to hear one more time from each of you, um, what's on your radar, what's coming up next in the world of suicide prevention, and how can people get involved? Let's start with you, Scott, at Western State. Uh, what are you doing with students, faculty, staff? What's on your radar in suicide prevention at the college? So that's a great, great question. Um, and I just, I hope it's conveyed enough that uh, that question extends beyond, um, beyond the campus, our Western's campus, that Western is really uh, dedicated to um, getting involved and creating relationship within this entire valley. And so um, talking about efforts, it, it's hard, but I would say one of the most prominent that um, is on Western's campus, but it should also be noted is an effort um, as it, within the strategic plan of the Gunnison County is sources of strength being provided to students of all ages. Um, and I can't say it enough how powerful that can be for 
that demographic. I understand we've talked about varying demographics as well, but certainly Western will be um, really looking to launch sources of strength on campus, but also get involved with the community because as we talked about today, um, it's not just a siloed um, silo effect that's going to be helpful. It's going to be something that's surrounding um, these students from every aspect and building those connections, allowing them to see other people asking for help. Um, you know, once again, going back to Emily Mirza's first um, tier of kind of the health and wellness subgroup, um, reducing stigma. And so, so certainly Western will be doing that, but it's, I, I really do feel that it's a community-wide effort that Western will be a part of. Um, and certainly, hopefully, it, it's impactful for both students, staff, and faculty, but also the rest of the community as well. Chris, with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and you also recently, by the way, congratulations. I know you're not looking for a congratulations, but thank you for organizing the Out of the Darkness Campus Walk. I believe this was the third, This fourth? was the third year. Okay, um, can you talk about what's happening next from the AFSP and the Out of the Darkness Walk? I can. So um, after our campus walk, the day after, actually, uh, we made the choice to turn it into a fall community walk. We also made the choice to this year move to Crested Butte. We'll alternate between Gunnison and Crested Butte this year. And throughout the groups that all of us are involved in, um, we were able to come up with a name that links both ends of the valley. So we won't be alternating names. It'll be the One Valley Community Walk. So feel free to look that up. Um, we'll have a short link soon not quite there but um, from my role I want to be able to provide resources I'm able to provide them at both ends of the valley but until now I haven't been able to involve the whole valley so we're excited to be able to do that um, another thing that I'm working with Center for Mental Health on is providing what's called survivor day and that's another way to bring the community together. It's only one day a year. We will offer it at both ends of the valley, but we'll have some mental health professionals, hopefully some breakout sessions, lunch. It's free to attend, but it's a way to, to come together and discuss how everyone's been affected. And you may find someone who's been affected almost exactly the same as you have. I know we're not all the same, but it's, it's I think, easier to talk to a group of people who are in that same situation, who have been through those same situations, and also have people there to talk to as professionals who can help you find other, other ways to, to heal. And I know, like, the walk for me, that's how I healed, so, or began to. <laughs> so we do have a lot coming up. We do have a lot of resources that we're able to provide. And like I said, my card's back there. If anyone wants to bring safe talk, or talk saves lives, we also have firearms and suicide prevention. They're both about 90 minutes. I can do it in an office setting. I can do it at Town Hall. I can do it in Gunnison or Crested Butte. So those are definitely options if you're looking for something shorter. And then Safe Talk, which we'll have at both ends of the valley also. Chris, you just said healed, then healing. Is it fair <laughs> yeah. to say that it's an ongoing process? It is. It is. Um, as you can tell, there is a little emotion in my voice at, at certain times. Um, the first walk that I did, I was an absolute train wreck and couldn't even do a speech. It was so emotional, but seeing the community and seeing everyone that, that does care, no matter what your association with the, the cause is, or you know, if you have lost someone, lost a friend, a family member, it's great to see other people who are still in that process of learning, but also healing. So yes, I'm still healing and probably always will be. Thank you, Chris. Stacy Peterson, what's happening at the Crested Butte Community School next? 
So we will continue um, doing our annual staff trainings of QPR. We'll continue with our um, signs of suicide program that we teach to sixth and ninth graders. We're actually upping our number of QPR trainers within the district. We um, with the Gunnison schools train as well every year so that we can offer more trainings as new staff come on board. Uh, we also have um, something going called the Second Wind Fund, which is um, access to free counseling services for any students that who may be at risk for suicide or just have other financial barriers to receiving the counseling help that they need. So that's one other thing that we have in place. And um, yeah, just continuing to really, we stay really up to date on our um, suicide resources and protocol. We, the counseling team attends trainings very regularly. We try to stay really up to date and make sure we're doing everything best practice within the, within the school and within the district. Sarah Kramer with the Center for Mental Health. You uh, listed a multitude of things that are coming up next. So if you could maybe just briefly summarize them here as we close the forum. Sure. Uh, so one thing we're very excited about is bringing the crisis stabilization unit to Montrose um, and being able to also provide transportation to that crisis stabilization unit. Uh, so that's coming on on sometime in the near future this summer. Uh, we also are just always looking for ways to integrate and expand and move more into the community. Uh, we've been a center that has historically stayed in our walls and been at our center, um, but we've been working kind of all over the community. Uh, so we now have counselors at Western. We have counselors that, or we have a counselor that goes to the jail. We have counselors uh, integrated in Gunnison Valley Health System, um, and we're looking to continue to to increase those opportunities to put our therapists more into the community where uh, where you guys are. Uh, so uh, that's that's one thing. And then on the prevention side, uh, we're continuing. We provide training as needed, as communities ask for it, for the mental health uh, first aid training, QPR. Um, we're also implementing zero, the Zero su Suicide Initiative, which is a statewide effort, um, but it's an evidence-based model that says we're not going to rest until our number really is zero. Um, and so that's training our staff in really specific practices, as well as working with uh, projects like the One Valley Prosperity Project Health Commission to th do their three-tiered approach of reaching into the community, reaching in to, to work with professionals and provide training. Nancy Osmondson with CB Hope and many other things. I believe if people go find the CB Hope Facebook page, they'll learn about what's happening next. Uh, sure. But maybe if you could just briefly summarize. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, we have some, we have a wealth of resources in the county and really in this little community as well. So I think CB Hope is just a grassroots movement to organize the services that are available to get people um, educated on what's out there and to provide what's needed. There are, it's a place where people can bring their ideas and their needs and our goal is to take action every single week and to do what we can for this community. Um, there is, uh, the only message I have is there is not one person in this community that isn't struggling, that doesn't struggle. Um, there are no bad ideas that you can bring for the benefit of the community. 
and there's nobody that can't play a role if they want to. So come with that information or just come to um, get support. And our final guest of the evening, Dr. John Tarr on the Gunnison County Board of Health. John, what can you say is happening on the county level? Well, above and beyond what all these folks are doing, uh, they have sort of summarized a lot of the efforts, and I can't really take much credit for the work that they are doing other than just encouraging them through whatever roles I play. Uh, I do, however, I am working on a education program for health professionals and looking for accreditation so that I can motivate physicians to attend. One of the numbers that is commonly quoted is that approximately half of people who suicide have seen their physician within a few months prior to their event. And I will hopefully by fall have organized a session for physicians and an incentive to, for them to attend on suicide recognition and intervention. So above and beyond all the other efforts that are doing, that's what I am doing, which is specific to my physician role. Well, I would like to thank all of you on the panel for participating here late in the evening on this Wednesday and for everyone who came out in the audience and asked questions, listened, learned, everyone in the radio listening audience who either joined early and stayed late or joined halfway. We appreciate you becoming more informed and educated. And there are a few final points I would like to make before we wrap up. The local crisis text line can be reached by texting 741 741 and with someone who has a little bit more information on that should they include some text in their text or do they just text 741741 and say help me you can say help you can say home they'll respond no matter what you say and chad just to that aside i think it's important for people to know that you as a bystander could certainly use that service if you are concerned for someone that you know um, it doesn't just have to be for someone that is in crisis the crisis talk line where you can speak with a trained mental health professional is 970-252-6220. And the Crestview Marshals Department wanted to remind me that free gun locks are available for anyone in the community. If you think you would benefit from having your firearm locked um, in your home, by all means, you can go see the Crestview Marshals Office and if you do know someone in distress, it's either 911 or 641-8200 to reach dispatch. So I would again like to thank all of you for coming. I'm not sure if a round of applause is appropriate after an event like this, but how about we all breathe a collective sigh and move on with our lives. So on three, let's all just sigh together. One, two, three. <sighs> Thanks again, everyone. We'll turn it back to the KBUT studios right now.